0: Jewish Audio on Kaban.org Rambam Hilchis Matnas Aniyim Coming out of chapter 7, we continue with chapter 8 The Laws of General Charity Hatsdokah, the whole idea of charity When one verbally, as we learned at the, eight of, at the end of chapter 7 Makes a statement or a pledge to charity Harehi bechlal hanidorim A charity pledge is incorporated in the general laws of vows. Now, we're trekking through the Rambam here. We started at the beginning. Baruch Hashem. So we know we went through all the laws of vows. And we know the laws of vows deal, among other things, also with charitable vows. The fika, therefore, he if somebody says i take upon myself to give a sela which is like a shekel to charity a sela or i pledge that this particular sela is charity chayev miyad. then the obligation kicks in immediately he has to give it immediately And this is the idea that people make pledges to charity and uh, manana. Manana. So, the halacha says it's a mitzvah to pay miyad, ASAP. Like the uh, synagogue in Manhattan calls 911 and says we were robbed, help. Help. And the police says, what was taken? Cash? He says, no. Securities? No. Bonds? Stocks? No. What was stolen? Pledges. They stole all the pledges. So pledges are there to be paid. The Icha or echar. what if he procrastinated of our Achar? He transgresses the mitzvah not to pay late. On one's vows. We learned that that's a serious transgression. Why? Because he's able to give immediately. This particular vow was to the poor. He has poor people right there. What if he has no poor? And he wants to honor his vow. He sets it aside until he finds the poor. There are certain people who took upon themselves a very interesting custom. That they have a separate account which they call their charity account. And immediately, as they take money in from salary or investments or profits, immediately they put 10 to 20% in the charity account. So, whenever there is a Charity solicitation, they have the ability to write from their charitable funds, setting aside the funds to charity. Today, they call this a a trust, a a foundation, where, where the charity already becomes charity. So the idea is that you don't consume it on other things. Certain people can't hold on to money. The money burns a hole in their pocket. So, He sets it aside, and he puts it down, until he finds the poor. But if he made the condition that he won't have to give it until he finds the poor, he doesn't have to set it aside. Similarly speaking, if he made a condition at the time that he made the pledge or he pledged that item, that that item doesn't always have to remain the holy item, but the charity collectors, the fund, could change it, many silver pieces into a gold piece, that's fine too. And I want to just point out that today, basically a dollar is a dollar, and $100 is $100, and 1000 is $1,000, and 10000 is $10,000, and $100,000 is 100000 But back then, it worked with coins, and the coins were worth more or were worth less. Depends how they were made. They kept their fullness. They didn't. So every coin could have had a different value. So it has to be conditional that you can change, exchange currency for currency a Matpis if somebody extends a vow. We learned about these laws extensively, where he says, and this Chayov, he's also obligated to keep the and this pledge, like the original pledge. Ketzad, for example. This sela should be like this selah. This one was charity, this one should be charity. Harezu then it's tsudaka. sela, somebody sets aside a sela. Again, a seller is the coin that replaced the shekel in Talmudic times. A little, slightly more than a shekel. V'yam said, This is tzedakah. He took a second seller. V'yam said, said, And this one, The second one is also, Even though he didn't say, And this one shall be charity. He said, And this one, and we understand the context, is charity. What if somebody makes a pledge? I'm going to give charity. But the he has no idea how much. You know he pledged charity. Something was going on in his life. He made a pledge for charity, but he doesn't know how much. How does he fulfill that pledge? So Yitani should keep giving until he's given so much. Where he says, kachnis kavanti, wait a minute. I didn't mean this. Oh, now you've given enough. Dalid. Echodoimer. One who says both one who says, <coughs> This seller is charity. somebody says, How <coughs> I I take upon myself to give a seller to charity. If he wants to change the seller for another seller, no problem. But once it reached the communal collector's hands, also the he may not change it. If the Gabboyim wanted to change and exchange it for different currencies, they're not allowed. Again, I explained earlier, every coin had its value. If there are no poor at the moment, they can combine it to others. But they can't exchange it. They can exchange the coins with other people but not themselves because we're afraid they're going to benefit themselves at the cost of the charity. Hey, what if the poor said to the communal collectors, don't give us the money now, hold on to it, because they knew it would benefit them. Because the longer the communal collectors had their money, the more engaged they were in the campaign. Once they paid out the money, the campaign is over and they go on to the next campaign. So the poor, the poor people said, hold on to the money a little longer. <coughs> That's the way the commentators explain this. In that case, that communal collector, mutter, is permissible. To even borrow those funds to repay it. Because charity funds... A nokehegdash are not like sacred funds of the besamigdash, also the where there can't be a benefit. As long as the community entrusts them to do it, that is permissible by halach. What if somebody pledges a menorah, a ner or a candle, the beis to the synagogue? Also the shanaisah. Then one may not exchange it and say, you know what, I found another one. If he pledged this menorah, you give this menorah. But if it's going to benefit a mitzvah, then he may change it. Even though the owner's name still is connected to and everybody will know that this was the item that was pledged. But if the name was forgotten, then it's permissible to exchange it, even for a permissible... Event Zion, when does this apply when the donor was a Jew? So, when the donor was a Jew, it's not going to create a problem. But if the donor was a non Jew, or some will say even an idolater, also the Shana Mitzvah, and they gave a particular menorah and they gave a particular item, then you're going to go exchange it. The rumor will go out. Look at the Jews, I gave something and they changed it. They stole it. So also the Shanesa, it's forbidden to change it, mitzvah, even for a good reason. Until that item will never be recognized as that person's item. Because we don't want bad stuff to go around about the Jewish community. Perhaps the idolater or the Gentile will say, Look at these Jews. I pledged, I sanctified something to their synagogue, to the synagogue of the Jews, and they sold it for themselves. Therefore, even though you're doing it for a good reason, don't do it who contributed Lebed the and we learned this law earlier, to the improvement of the fund of the holy temple in Jerusalem, the Am It's best not to accept for that fund but if they did accept it,, they should not return it that could insult him. What if it was a specific item? A beam, a heaven, or a stone. They can return it. It's best in the base of Mikdash that there not be something specific that was contributed by a non Jew. That's an exception to the general rule. By the way, sacrifices could be brought by non Jews. King Solomon instituted that. That's not a problem. We're talking about the building fund. There's a special verse that talks about this that the Jewish people should have the pride to build their own on HaMigdash. That is as it relates to the Holy Temple. Now, all of this is being said. Abol Beis says, when it comes to the building of a synagogue, no problem. Mechablin Mehen one may receive gifts from non Jews to help build a synagogue. That law only applies to the holy temple itself and to the building of the holy temple, not even to sacrifices. That is providing, provided that the fellow will say, "I'm giving this contribution; let the Jewish community do with it in this construction of the synagogue as it wishes." But if he didn't, then Toren Genezah Shema. Then it should be put away because perhaps it was his intention to give it to God and not to the building of a synagogue. So we're, I believe, not honoring his intention. The same goes for building the wall in Jerusalem, or for the waterway, as is outlined in that verse by King Solomon. Now the question is, can a Jew take charity from an idolater, or from a non-Jew? It is forbidden for a Jew to do this in public, because It seems embarrassing to the Jewish community that the Jewish poor has to go solicit from the non-Jewish public. Therefore, you shouldn't do this publicly. What if the guy says, I simply can't make a living in the charity I receive from the Jewish people? That's fine. And he can't take it privately? Then it is permissible even to solicit in public. And again, we're concerned about the embarrassment it brings to the Jewish community. And every time and every place is different, obviously. What if a king or a minister of an idolatrous nation sends a gift to a Jew for charity? You should never return it because it could create a lot of problems. Elenatl, you accepted gratefully. <laughs> if possible, it should be used to support the non Jewish poor of our community. But in a very confidential manner, Kadesh Yishma I believe what these laws are based upon is that the Jewish people should have enough gifts of charity to support their own poor. They shouldn't have to come on to the needs of the non Jewish. Uh, philanthropists, but if there isn't, then there isn't. But God forbid to antagonize the non-Jewish donor in any way, shape, or form, always accept graciously and gratefully. There's one mitzvah that is probably up there above most other mitzvahs, and that is redemption of captives. There was a time when people would go into the Jewish community and kidnap people and take them as captives. Tragically, they do it today in Israel with soldiers and other situations. Why? Because the non-Jew knows that every individual is precious to the Jewish community. And they know they're going to come and redeem him. But this could create a problem. And this is, this is this halacha that is so often discussed when, God forbid, we have one of these problems. May we never have them again. Pijin shvuyim, the mitzvah of redemption of captives. Kedem takes precedence. The farnosas iim to the support of regular poor, garbing them, clothing them. ein loch mitzvah g'delike pijin shvuyim. There's no greater mitzvah than the redemption of captives. Shehashovui, because someone who is God-forbid in captivity. Hareyubachlal is included in everything. Everything else takes place in his captivity. Hareyubim, he's hungry. Vatsmeyum, he's thirsty. Vaharumim, he's not clothed properly. In addition to the fact that every moment his life is in jeopardy. Ve'eimid besakonis nefoshis, and he is in a life and death situation. Vahamalim einav there's somebody who shuts his eyes. And says, it's not my problem. I don't need to deal with with redeeming this captive. Then he transgresses all the mitzvahs. He transgresses the mitzvah not to harden your heart. The mitzvah not to shut your hand. Not to stand by idly as the blood of your brother spills. Don't allow someone to work a slave into oblivion before your eyes. That's happening too. Or beatel mitzvahs, and he nullified the potential mitzvah of pasayach tiftach Yotchala, you yusha. Surely, open your hand, or mitzvahs v'cheiachichayim, which are all the positive mitzvahs of charity. V'ahaptol the re'acha love your fellow as yourself. V'hatzol lekochim lekuchim la'moves, save those who are taken for death. V'har be'dvarim koelah, and many other mitzvahs. V'ein lech mitzvah rabba kapigyon There is no greater mitzvah than redeeming captives. Anshi Mois, Be Furthermore, even if people of the community collected funds to build a synagogue, Obolahen Dvar Mitzvah, and this type of mitzvah came along of saving captives, Mezin Be'a Mois, and they take the money that was set aside for the synagogue and they spend it to redeem the captives. what if they already purchased stone and beams, Mitzvah, let them not sell it? For any other mitzvah, El Lepidim Shwim. Ah, the earlier one was for, a, in general for a mitzvah. That the money from a synagogue could be taken and utilized for a very important mitzvah. But if it already became stone or beams, he should not sell them for a very important mitzvah, except for redeeming captives. <speaking in Spanish> Even though they already brought these stones to the building site, and put them in the walls was akela subsolem or they prepared them to put them in the walls the skinakol binion it's all ready to go meganakol they can sell everything the pigeon but only for pigeon shweem only for the redemption of captives avolim bonu begomro but if they already built the synagogue mayim kres pesaknashes they should not sell the synagogue elayig bol the pigeon name natibor they should collect from the community for their redemption yud bazain paideness ashweem be yosar the mam However, we may not redeem captives for more than their value. A captive may only be redeemed for his value on the slave market. Why? What's wrong if I want to redeem a captive for more than his value? Is there any value, is there any set value to a Jew? A Jew is uh, worth uh, infinite amounts of money. The answer is mipnei in order to benefit the world, because you're going to create a Balagan. <laughs> because if you're going to overpay for Jewish captives, then it's going to become the premium person to kidnap, kidnap a Jew. They're worth a lot more, which is in general the problem with paying Too much of anything for a captive, or negotiating with terrorists, or this whole debate is based on this halacha. Furthermore, another side of the coin is we don't help captives escape. Because we want to help the world be a better place. Because if the Jewish communities will help captives escape, then the next captive is going to be bound in, 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 in tresses, and is not going to be able to move. And they're going to be hauling heavy stones around. And they're going to be suffering for the previous escape. So therefore, we, the community, don't want to, in an organized way, to assist Jewish captives to escape, because we're always concerned with the next time around. So that's why we can't pay more than we should, on the one hand. On the other hand, we can't help organize escapes, because the next captives are going to suffer for it. Interesting laws. Yudgimol... Today they have Baruch Hashem something called bankruptcy law, at least in some countries, where somebody gets into trouble, he goes bankrupt. It's getting more difficult, but it's still possible. But once upon a time there was no bankruptcy, so you got into debt, you got into debt, trouble with a capital T. What if somebody sold himself and his children? to idolaters because he was in debt and he needed to pay his obligations or he borrowed from them and then they went and held him captive and they took him his family put him into debtor's prison so now the jewish community is faced with the Schnorr, he's in debtor's prison again. He blew all his money, went on a, Vegas, on a Vegas junket, blew all his money, borrowed money from loan sharks, and he's in debtor's prison. Now we have to go collect money and, and, and bail him out. Ah, Moshe. That's the scenario here. Pam <coughs> Rishayna the first time. All right. Oshniya the second time. Mitzvah of days, and it's a mitzvah to redeem them, but shlish is the third time around. Ain't paid. Any sum. Now, you know, enough. <clears throat> However, once the father dies, will you do redeem the children, Lachan Abim, after their father's death, because the children are just victims. But if you get information that this time they're going to kill him, then you redeem him even after the third and fourth time. What about Ebed, a slave, a Jewish slave, who was kidnapped? then A slave by Jewish laws, considered a full-fledged Jew, who will become a full-fledged Jew upon liberation. Mitzvah, a mitzvah observant. The same law applies as to any other fellow Jew. What if a Jew was kidnapped and taken captive, and he became an idolater? Even if he accepted upon himself the regular wanton violation of even one mitzvah, where he wantonly and intentionally paraded around eating non-kosher food in a time when the Jewish community would look at that askance. Also, it is of course forbidden to redeem him because he's doing something contrary publicly to the Jewish people. Again, I say it depends when and what because the world changes. Today we live in a world of tinnik shenishbu where people grew up without Torah, without mitzvahs, and many of these rules have to be applied according to the culture of the time. of who takes priority? If there's a woman who is in captivity and a man in captivity, who should be redeemed first? Aisha, a woman should be redeemed first before a man I'm sorry, a woman comes before a man to give her food and to give her clothing and to redeem her from captivity so that the answer is clearly a woman takes priority why is that? A man is in captivity it's not a picnic either if Ish darkei V'lehi ha'isha. Because it's common for a man to go house to house and beg or to be in trouble, but a woman is more sensitive of and her shame is greater. What if they're both in captivity? It's not only a question of, I guess, threat of captivity, but they're both in captivity. V'nitvushneem v'dvaraveira. And unless They will be redeemed. They might both be abused in a very harsh way. Both be raped. In this case, there is an argument to say that the man should be redeemed first. Because the rape of a man is a more severe suffering than the rape of a woman. And there's a lot of discussion as to what this means. Uh, What he's talking about is that the homosexual rape is a more... Humiliating experience, although all rapes are humiliating. This is an interesting law which should not be misunderstood, but there is discussion here. What if there's a choice? The community has a male and female orphan before them, and they can only afford first to marry one of them. Here the girl takes precedence. Because the vulnerability and shame. Of the woman comes before they should be given at least a weight of six and a quarter dinar of pure silver for dowry or other expenses,, if the charitable fund has the ability, they give him whatever her honor demands. <coughs> We've been learning the laws of one need at a time. What if there are many poor? Or there are many captives? The Ein, And there is not the financial ability of the individual or the community to sustain or to clothe or to redeem all of them. Then in this case, if all else is equal, the Kohen takes precedence over the Levi. The Levi, the Yisrael, and the Levi over the Israelite. The Yisrael, the Cholol, and he goes through the various levels here enumerated in the Tractate of Kedushin. Shtuki, Shtuki l'Asufi, or And we learned about all of these in the laws of marriage. nosin godel imonu b'Kedusha, because nosin. Grew up in holiness. A ger takes precedence over a liberated slave because he was in a negative state and he voluntarily joined Klal Yisrael. As I said earlier, when is this? When all things are equal, if they're all of equal scholarship. Here comes the. This is the source of the famous teaching. If there was a high priest who was in captivity and he was an ignoramus, umamzer, and there was somebody who was the byproduct of an incestuous relationship and therefore an illegitimate child by biblical standards, Talmud Chachem, who's a scholar. Who takes precedence? Talmud chochem Kedem. The Torah scholar takes precedence over the high priest. So that in addition to birthright, Torah scholarship is perhaps as equal or more equal. Anyone who is greater in wisdom, kaidem eschabere, precedes the fellow who is not. If one of them was his teacher. Or his father, even though there are others greater in wisdom. Rabbi, his own teacher, or his own father, Shutal was a scholar. Kidam would take precedence for Zed to this one Shugodom was greater than his father or his teacher in wisdom. End of chapter eight.